Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Our glorious Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We give you praise, glory, and adoration. Once again, we are here, Lord, to receive instructions from you. Give us that fleshly heart that we're able to receive, that which you're about to communicate, and let it work effectually in our lives to the upliftment of your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Okay, this is me. I want to. <clears throat> Sorry, I want to have a discussion with us on actually 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 7 in particular. And so I'm calling this thorns in the flesh. Uh, for those of us who have been taking time maybe to study and you hear sometime also, uh, there's a common belief that the thorn in the flesh of Apostle Paul has to do with the fact that maybe he has an eye defect. I don't know if you heard that before, that he has an eye problem because the Galatian church, uh, he said, you wouldn't have mind to give me your eye if you wanted to. Right. So the conclusion then is uh, Paul had an eye problem, and so that was what is referred to as the thorn. Don't put the echo, please. That's what is referred to as thorn in the flesh. But I want us to go to the scriptures and begin to see. What we have to say there. Second Corinthians 12. 2 <clears throat> Corinthians 12. I'm reading from verse number 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelation of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knew it. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. Verse 3 says, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God know it, how that was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself. I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. But I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which seems to me or that he heareth of me. And verse 47 now. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. To buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So when read from verse number one and begin to tell you his experiences in the spirit dimension. And now the Bible is saying, for him to be humbled, that he does not exalt himself above measure, or the level of glory has gotten in the Lord, if need be. God gave him a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. 
In other words, to attack him, to oppress him, whatever the case may be. It was God that gave him the tongue, as it is. Praise the Lord. Let's read down a little bit. We'll come back here. Go to verse 8. Verse number 8, 2 Corinthians, and he said, For this thing I besought the Lord, three eyes that it might depart from me. And then the next thing says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may do what? Rest upon me. Praise God. Alright, so like I said before, the verse 7 is the key where we're actually dealing with, and then this is where people have actually come up with the understanding or the teaching that Saul has certain issue which have to do with sicknesses and all of those things because he used the word infirmity. Right, so let's go to Galatians 4 verse 12. So the conclusion in, in, in order other words, to bootstrap that fact, Galatians 4, verse 12. Right. He said, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh, ye despised not, now rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness he speak of? For I bear you recall that if I had been possible, if I had been possible, you would have plucked out your eye, I mean your own eyes for your own eyes and have given it to me. Or given it to them. Praise the living God. So what he's saying here is Take it for a simpler translation. Maybe NLT, whatever. Go back again and read it down so that you can get a better understanding of what I'm saying here. Uh, Reading from verse 12. Read from verse 12 again. Yeah, Dear brethren and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you, Gentiles free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you fell then? I am sure you will have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Praise God. So now, like I said before, this is where a lot of us have come to the conclusion that the problem of Paul was that he had an eye problem because he said, pluck up my eye and give them to me. But this is not saying, in fact, a matter of fact, that word, pluck your eye and give them to me, is an idiomatic expression that indicates you will give me the best. You will dare to give me the best without thinking about it. 
That's what it means. He's not trying to say, you literally will have plucked off your eyes and give them to me. No. He was trying to express his gratitude. I mean, the level of affection that the Galatian church had for him. Is that okay? Yeah. You don't mind, you don't mind giving me your best. That's what he's trying to say. Praise God. Now you received me so much, I was sick. I was sick. He didn't say, I had eye problem. That's not what he said. He only said, I was sick. Yeah, but because of this statement here, the conclusion was that he had an eye problem and he was saying the Galatians could probably want to replace his eyes with their own, something like that. But that's not what the Bible is teaching. Praise God. Now let's, let me, I'll come back to this, but let's deal with the issue of the, of the tongues. The tongues and the flesh. Like we find in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, right? Right. Say, not to exalt myself above my measure, and God gave me a thorn in the flesh, and he called a messenger of Satan. That is not the sickness being referred to here. Praise God. Let's look at something in 2 Samuel 23, verse number 6. 2 Samuel 23, verse number 6. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken into the house or into the hand. Now, go back a bit to, let's take it from verse 5 and then you look at that. Verse 5. Although my heart be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation, and all my desire, although he makes it not to grow. Then the next thing. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken within the hands, or with the hands. Thorns thrust away. So here we find that when he says sons of Belial, we can readily see that that has to do with people. Is that okay? Right. The tongues is referring to people. It's not referring to sickness. It's not referring to uh, what will I put it now? Whatever thing that should have been an issue to Apostle Paul. No. That's not what he's saying. I want you to get that. Okay. Go with me to Numbers. Numbers 33 and verse 55. The book of Numbers. 33 verse 55. But if you will not drive out, okay, go back to 54, maybe, so that I get the story. And ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families, and to the more you shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth, according to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit. The next verse. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. And it shall wax you, I mean, it shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Hallelujah. If you will not drive out, 
the inhabitants of the land. Now, they are going to possess Canaan. There are lands that are located to each of those uh, families, the 12 tribes. And so here he's saying that if you have certain people in your land who are already occupying them, you don't have to go into friendship or relationship with them. Drive them out. If you don't drive them out, they're going to become what? Tons in your flesh or by your side, whatever the case may be. Now I'm trying to define for us what the word tons stands for. Right? Praise the Lord. So here again he's talking about the people that need to go out of the land that they're going to possess. Or else they become tons by their side. Tons in the flesh. Okay? Go into Joshua 23. Joshua 23 verse 12. Hallelujah. He said, as if you do, okay, go back again to, let's take it from verse 10 if you will. Alright. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God he is that fighteth for you as he had promised you. Take good heed, therefore, Unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of those nations, or these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, the next verse says, Know for certainty that the Lord your God. We no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and trap unto you, and scourge your side, and turn in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God has given you. Did you get that? Right. So again, we find out here he's talking about human beings. Amen. So tongues in the flesh is describing people who opposes, how do I put it now? Your vision, who opposes your destiny. Men that wants to stop you from full realization of that which God has given to you. Like they have to go possess the land. They have to share the land among themselves. And he's saying, those people, don't allow them to stay with you. Because if you do, they're going to become tongues in your flesh. Praise the Lord. And so, as we begin to see this, you begin to see very clearly that Apostle Paul was not describing any form of sickness to be a tongue in the flesh. But, like he said in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 2, I mean verse 7, he called that individual messenger of Satan. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Again, let's move on. Ezekiel 28. Verse 21. 28 verse 21. Ezekiel 28 verse 21. Okay, fine, let's get it. Son of man, say thy face against Zidon, and prophesy against it, and say, 
Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I'm against thee, O Zidon, and I will be glorified in the midst of thee. And they shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall have executed my judgment in her, and shall be sanctified in her. For I will send into her pestilence and blood into her streets, and the wounded shall be judged in the midst of her by the sword upon her on every side, and they shall know that I am the Lord. 24. And there shall be no more a pricking briar unto the house of Israel, nor a grieving thorn of all that round about them, that despise them, and they shall know that I am what? I am the Lord. Get together. The thorns and the grieving have to do with people that were oppressing the children of Israel. And God is saying, I'm going to get them out of the way, and your thorns in the flesh will be taken away. Are you seeing that? Praise God. Verse 25 says, Thus hear the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in the land that I have given to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely therein, and shall be houses and plant vineyards, yea, they shall dwell with confidence. When I have executed judgment upon all those that despise them round about them, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. Praise the Lord. So again we see this perfect picture being given to us here graphically by the Lord himself. That all the people that were opposing and supposed to be issues to the children of Israel were referred to as torn in the flesh. The tongues have been taken away. It's going to take them away. Now Israel will live freely. They're going to, you know, inhabit their homes and they have their land. Whatever the case may be. So it's an oppressive spirit through individuals, if I may use the word. Praise the Lord. Are you following me at all? So again, we'll go back to Paul's case. Having laid this foundation as to what is a thorn in the flesh. Let's go back again to x-ray the case of Apostle Paul. And so, we'll go back again to Galatians 4 and verse 12. Don't forget what we read in number 33, 55. If you will not drive these people out, they will become thorns in your flesh. And it's so important you understand that. You see, what we are dealing with now is almost very close to what normally happens. You know, anytime you talk about flesh of my flesh and bones of my bones, the thing you always remember or comes to your mind is the wife of that individual. Is that okay? Yeah, but if you take time to study scripture, you find that those who went to David were his flesh and his bones. So, it's dealing with relationship. It's not just issue of marriage. Is that okay? Now, we will take time to study that. Then you find out, I mean, you see what I'm trying to say. Flesh of my flesh and both of my bones is not just all the time husband and wife matter. You have to do with relationship. Because those who went to David, in fact, he said, my flesh and my bones, they came. 
You understand that? Good. That means his relation from his tribe came to making king. My flesh and my bones. We're not talking about his wife. <laughs> and so this is similar to what we're dealing with here. When you read about tongues in the flesh, and then we conclude that has to do with the sickness of Apostle Paul. And that's what he was referring to. And he was praying God to let him be free from that sickness. But God said, no, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. But that is not exactly what the Bible is saying. Again, like I said, Galatians 4 verse 12. Galatians 4 verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am. For I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now we understand the infirmity of the flesh means he was sick. Is that okay? Right. And my temptation which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And a lot of people have come up with the fact that the sight of Apostle Paul's eye was so horrible that you wouldn't want to look at him. Just because of what he said. But if that was the case, how was he able to be writing the books he wrote? If he had a problem, how did he write all the letters? Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Okay. Verse 15 says, Where is then is the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. But bear you record that if it were possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. What the means tells you are the strongest affection for me. You love me the way you love God. And you love me this deep because of your love for God. And you were ready to give me the most unqualified proof of your love. In other words, you would do anything for me because of the love you have for me because of God. Are you there with me? It, not, it was nothing to do, it had nothing to do with Apostle Paul had a bad eye. So, the Galatian church were trying to say, let us replace his eyes with our own. That is not what he's saying. This is speaking of something that is very precious and dear to you. It's an idiomatic expression. One eye, the professor give one eye for the sake of another, actually means intimating the highest level and strongest affection for that individual. Praise God. If I say, I will pluck my eye for you, it speaks of the highest level of affection that I have for you. It's, it's an idiomatic expression indicating deep love and the resolve to do anything you can do for the person you love. Is that okay? So it wasn't dealing with literal eyes here. 
And so, we can't use that to conclude that Saul had bad eyes. If he had bad eyes, like I said, how was he able to write all those books that he wrote? Maybe he had one eye and the other one was not good or something, I don't know. From what people tried to teach. Again, let's go back to this particular chapter. Let's look at it from again from NLT or message translation. I mean, uh, amplifier rather. Anyone. What has become of that blessed enjoyment and satisfaction and self-congratulation that once was yours in what I taught you and in your regard for me? For I bear you witness that you will have turned out your own eyes and given them to me to replace mine, if that were possible. Did you get that? Right. So, with this phrasing, that's what is making people to think. Paul was having eye problem, and he was not saying you could replace her with mine. But I'm trying to explain to you that this is a proverb. It's a proverbial expression that shows the greatest self-sacrifice that you can make for somebody else. Let's compare something in Mighty chapter 5 verse 29. Mighty 5 29. Praise the Lord. Blessed and join and be able, have spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction, God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. Those who do good to other people, sacrificially, they shall be called what? The sons of God. So what Paul was actually trying to tell them is, you truly, you are truly living out, or you were living out, that description of being children of God. So that's what I said. What finally has happened to you? After I left you, as the case may be. But I remember when I was with you, you will have literally, if you will, pluck off your eyes, and giving them to me. In other words, you have such a strong love and affection for me. So what has happened to that affection you had in the beginning? This is just what he was telling them about. And that it stayed that they were at that time, they can definitely be telling my sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Is that okay? Right. Who do good. So that's what he's saying. So, pluck out your own eyes. I made my sacrifice, as it were, to comply with the wishes of the people. In other words, if I saw pluck my eye for you, it means I really want to get you happy, free, and I mean, there is no amount of sacrifice that is too heavy for me not to engage in because of the affection I have for you. That's what it means to pluck out my eyes. Hallelujah. Amen. So, if we have to go back now, I'm trying to explain this, just to let us know that this one has nothing to do with 2 Corinthians 12. Nothing one bit. He was only expressing himself as, as, as it were. It's like a disappointment concerning the state of the Galatian church after he has left them. In recognition of who they were before, he was trying to pour out his mind. Like, oh man, you're falling from the grace. 
that you were once, you know, brought in by my message. You love my teaching. You believe in whatever thing I did at that time. So what happened after I've left? Where is that conviction you had in the beginning? That's the question. Because what happened to the Galatian church was that they went back. There were people that came in and started teaching that they have to marry the law together with the new faith. So that's why Paul would refer to them. Oh ye foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? How many of you remember that? Have you so begun in the spirit and ending in the flesh? Good. So the flesh that deal with what? The Judaism. You do get that. Right. Have you so begun in the spirit and you ending up in the flesh? And that's why sometimes I was studying and begin to see what is spirit and what is flesh. You know, I, I just begin to realize from Galatians 5 where we begin to read them. You see something there. Here the scripture Paul was trying to describe the two sons which are to do Ishmael and Isaac, Sarah and Hagar. Right. And he, he made a statement and said, God did not make the promise in terms of Ishmael. Right? Good. And that he got Ishmael through the flesh. But he said, that which is going to be by the spirit is a promise. So Isaac was spiritual because it was the promise of God. Why Ishmael was flesh? Because it was the promise of God. So how do you know what is spiritual? It is what God says. <laughs> Praise God. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yeah, it's just what God says. That won't make anything spiritual. You see, if you want to compare spiritual and then flesh, whatever. It's just what God says is spiritual. What God didn't promise is flesh. Very simple. And he said the flesh was fighting against the spirit. So you understand that. Praise God. Alright, so this has nothing to do with literal eye business while we're reading Galatian church. And don't forget, people came in to this place to teach other things contrary to what Paul have taught. You understand that? So it was a battle of what I call the apostles. False apostles and true apostles. Are you getting that? Good. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32. Hallelujah. It said, If after the manner of men are fought with beasts as Ephesus, what advantage it mean if they dare rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Praise the Lord. What a beast. Was it that Paul was wrestling with animals in Ephesus? No. Okay, let's look at something. Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. Titus chapter 1 verse 12. Now, this is Epimedes speaking. One of the philosophers, Greek philosophers, is the one making this statement. Right? It's called Epimedes. Epimedes. And he said, out of themselves, even when they say out of themselves, that individual is Epimedes, a prophet of their own said, the creators are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. 
So when he said they wrestle with the beast in Ephesus, he's not talking of animals, talking of human beings who are portrayed in this kind of character. They are liars. You understand that? Praise God. Slow bellies. Beast. Take it from a New York translation. Maybe NLT. Let's see. Titus 1 12. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Did you get that? So that's what Paul is saying. Now, what I'm trying to say when he says, I with the beast in Ephesus, it was not physical animals or, you know, maybe tigers. No. Or deers. Whatever the case may be, no. He's talking about people who have this kind of characteristics who were opposing his ministry in Ephesus. Did you get that? Now, you begin to understand the issue of the thorn in the flesh. These now are becoming thorn in the flesh of who? Apostle Paul. In relation to his ministry. He will do a good work and go away. These liars will come in and spoil everything he has done. Praise the Lord. Okay, again, you can look at First uh, Corinthians 16 verse 8. First Corinthians 16 verse 8. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. Until the festival of Pentecost, right? So, this is when now he was wrestling with the beast in Ephesus. Did you get it? Praise the Lord. Are you following me? Right. I need you to get that. So this is now when he was wrestling with the beast in Ephesus because he stayed there until the time of Pentecost. And all manner of people, all manner of teachings, whatever, was flooding the atmosphere. Listen, I don't want you to think too far off. You can have a thorn in your flesh. And God can allow it for a purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? You could see them as enemies. You could, whatever language you want to see them in. If God gives you one, it is because of the level of grace that has given to you as well. To humble you. So that you know that wherever you are, whatever you have ascended to, whatever, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but by God's grace and His own spirit. So to humble Paul... He gave him a messenger of Satan and Paul referred to that as a thorn in my flesh. Just like the people that will not be driven out in the promised land will become thorns in the flesh of the children of Israel. So, thorns in the flesh are human beings. Not some sickness or whatever. No. Okay. 2 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11 verse number 1. Okay, you're using NLT. All right. Okay, let, we can just go with that anyway. Because um, I was only getting lost in what I wanted to share. Let me see. Oh, we're going up to verse 6. Praise the Lord. 7, 8. Okay. I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please, bear with me. Go ahead. For I'm jealous for you. 
with the jealousy of God Himself. I promise you, as a pure bride to one husband, which is Christ. Follow the argument. What's the next thing? But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. What's the next thing? You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Follow the picture. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached. Or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed in. You put up with. In other words, you just receive everybody talking to you. Hallelujah. Anybody just come with any message, say, oh, you just take it. And this is where the problem is that Paul himself was trying to express. And you know, we find that today, even in ministries, even in churches, you belong to a place, you're receiving the word, somebody comes with something else, and what's the next thing? You're out. You just swallow everything, which is not supposed to be. Look at the next thing. But I don't consider myself inferior to any, in any way to these super apostles who taught such things. And I want you to look at that. Did you get it now? Those who claim to be super apostles coming to teach some other things. Paul said, look, I'm not inferior to them. Now remember, he was expressing disappointment over the Corinthian church. Is that okay? Right. And this is why you read in 1 Corinthians he will tell them in chapter 4. You may have many instructors but not many fathers. You remember that? Good. Because a lot of people were coming to the Corinthian church claiming to be apostles and teaching the people more or less destroying everything on the foundation apostles will have laid. So this was his pain. And these are the people actually being referred to as messengers of what? Of Satan. Praise God. Look at the next thing. And he said, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Next verse says, Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? What do you think Paul is saying here? These guys are making the church. You together. So Paul is saying, look, you do all of this for these false apostles, but you did nothing for me. And whether you believe it or not, I am your father. I'm your spiritual father. These can be mentors. You're receiving all of those things and ministering to them, but you did nothing for me. Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. I robbed other churches by accepting their contribution so I could save you at no cost. Next verse says what? And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you and never will be. Did you get that? 
Yeah, so the problem that Paul is trying to express here is the issue of people who come in, do ministry, and make the people financially. But Paul was in Corinthian. He set up the old system. He took nothing from them. Like he said, I was robbing other churches to be able to minister to you. In other words, other churches were sending provisions to Paul and the Corinthian church were just there. But by the time he left, what happened? Other people came in and now these people will now be ministered to. Unlike what they did to Apostle Paul. Praise the Lord. Okay. Okay, let's move on a little bit. I don't about our churches. And order. Go to verse 10 of that same chapter. Verse 10. As surely as I am the truth, I mean, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. You understand that? All right. Verse 11. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows that I do. Next verse says, But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will underscore those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. You understand the whole story? So, in fact, if you start reading from, you, you find the same thing in First Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. If you read down, you are going to see all of the same pictures as well. People came into Corinth. And they were receiving and being blessed despite the fact that it was a possible that lady foundation and he took nothing from them in ministering to them. So Paul is saying, listen, I got all the knowledge. If you think there's somebody who is coming to teach you more than I do, I've got all the knowledge I can boast in that. By implication, I'm not inferior to those people. In fact, I could be a superstar when it comes to those people. You understand that? Praise the Lord. Alright. Okay, go down a little bit. Look at verse 12. And I said, but I will continue doing what? Okay, sorry, we've read that. Go to verse 13. These people are false apostles. That's where I'm going to. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of who? Of Christ. That's it. That's the contention. Did you get that? Praise the Lord. False apostles will disguise themselves as apostles of who? Of Christ. Amen? Verse 14. And he said, But I am not surprised even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. That's in the garden. The next verse says, So, it's no wonder that these servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Praise the Lord. So, that is the story there. Contention. So, among the people that were actually thorns in the flesh of Apostle Paul were the false apostles. You understand it? Right. Praise the Lord. Thorns in the flesh are the things that try to hinder your progress, like I said before. And I'm saying there are people they are people. Let me read something again to you. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Two categories of people were actually the major problem. The false apostles and the Jews themselves. They were actually thorn in apostle Paul's flesh. 
Most places that Paul goes to, it was the Jews that were raising up a lamb. You remember that? Good. Alright. Revelation, I mean, Romans chapter 9 verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience of bearing me witness on the Holy Ghost. That I have a great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. But I could wait that myself were a cause from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are Israelites to whom partner the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law. And the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? Who is overall God blessed forever. Not as though the word of God had not taken on effect. For they are not all Israel which are Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are their children. But Isaac shall thy seed be called. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. They together. Which are the children of the flesh? I am reading Romans chapter 9. You lost? Are we together? Right. Romans chapter 9. Now we are 9 verse 9. So verse 8 is saying, That which is the promise is through Isaac. And that is that which is spiritual, like I said before. Hallelujah. So verse 9. For this is the word promise. At this time will I come and say that I shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also has conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of work, but of him that call it. It was unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Praise the living God. So this is Isaac, and that is Jacob. Amen? Are we here? Good. And that is Ishmael, that is Isaac. And I want you to get these two pictures right. Now, if you take time to read from the beginning, Paul is actually trying to say, what else can I do to help the Jews? Who claim to be Israelite, but they have no understanding of who God is. I will not have time. Time is almost gone. You go through the book of Acts, you'll be able to discover that. Almost everywhere that were attacking Apostle Paul, it was originated by the Jews. Did you get that? This is why it's like it's crying. If we're possible that I'd be separated and removed from Christ so that Israel will come in. So, the tongues in the flesh of Apostle Paul, we'll go back now as we end up from there. Second Corinthians 12 now. Very quickly. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 12, and verse number, if you want to take it from one again, fine. But the key point we are looking at again now is verse number 7. So he said, It is not expedient for me that there is a glory I will come to visions and revelations 
of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God know it. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. Now, he wasn't describing somebody else. He was describing himself. He had this experience. Which is actually called a puzzle. He could see things in the spirit. And if I may just take you a little bit deep. He saw the church that God is bringing forth. Which is the man-child church. The third heaven is not somewhere up in the blues. Heaven is wherever God dwells. Hallelujah. In terms of human, the first heaven was Adam. Second heaven was Jesus. Third heaven, the corporate children of God, the man child. Paul saw the glory of the children of God that is forthcoming. And that's why he said, if you go down, he said, he saw things that it, it was not lawful for man to alter. By implication, the things I'm seeing in the spirit, I can't release them to you now. You will not be able to understand. So he's talking of the glorious church that will be finally manifested on the face of the earth. He saw ahead of time, as I call it, the third heaven. The third heaven is not one, two, three, you go up there. That's where God says. No. <laughs> Hallelujah. In fact, David would refer, say the heaven of heaven is thy throne. The heaven of heavens. He didn't say one, two, three. So when Paul is beginning to say third heaven, you should understand. Like you look at a temple in the wilderness, right? The altar called, the middle called, the most holy place. That gives you the third heaven. In terms of the physical tabernacle. That gives you the third heaven. But we are talking of temple built without hands. Then you have to understand. That from Adam got to Jesus. From Jesus you and I. At the end of the day in a glorified church. We are the third heaven of God. Are you following me? Right. Go to verse 4. And he said that he was caught up into paradise. Now if you look at the word paradise. The Greek word is paradisos, and it means a garden. You see that? <laughs> I'll show you. I was caught up into paradise. Are you following what I'm saying? Go with me to First Corinthians 3. We'll come back here. Look at this number. What am I going to say now? First Corinthians chapter 3. Let me see if I can pick it for you. When he says, we are co-laborers with God. You are God's garden. You are God's fire. You remember that? Very good. So what was that? Uh, I think it's First Corinthians three. Look at verse nine. Let me see if that's what I'm looking for, so that I get it. Look at that. First Corinthians three, verse number nine. Right? For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. That word husbandry means a garden. You are God's building. Is that okay? Yeah. So paradise, which means garden, speaks of who? You and I. I was called out to paradise. Doesn't mean went to somewhere up in the sky. No. I saw what paradise, which is God's own garden, is going to look like. Did you get that? 
How that he was caught up into paradise and had unspeakable wealth, which it's not lawful for man to do or to alter. But if you go to Romans chapter 16, you find that Paul was able to say exactly what he wanted to say. Praise the Lord. So when you look at the word husbandry, it simply means word garden. Amen. That's why in Joel chapter 2, when talking about Joel's army, say by the time they are done, their back shall be like a garden of Eden. That's a glorious, uh, uh, how do I put it now? Renovation has taken place, whatever the case may be. Everything filthy has been taken away, and now God has manifested Himself through His people. Hallelujah. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 5. Of such one, I will glory. Did you get that? I will glory. It was himself he was describing his experience, not somebody else's own. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I will desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he summit me to be. All that he heareth of me. At least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Are you getting it now? Okay, take it from a simpler translation. Just this verse, maybe amplify or NLT, whatever. Let's have it. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness, preeminence given me, a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to rack and buffet me <laughs> and harass me. To keep me from being unnecessarily what exalted was given to me. So there are some people God can send your way just to keep you in check so that you don't get too much exalted or exalt yourself above what God has really done and composited in your life. God can do that. Everything that happened here that Paul is describing. Because of the level of glory he saw, God had to make sure there's someone there that keep on buffeting him, that keep on subduing him, so that he doesn't become too exalted in terms of boasting of the things that he knows or he has seen. Praise the living God. And so, this is what is called thorns where in the flesh. And sometimes when you have this kind of people around you, you're not going to pray that God should kill them because God is not going to kill them. Bible says he fasted three times for this thing. Remember that? But the thorn in the flesh remains because God sent him. You can have people like this just to control you. And if you don't understand, you always be angry with your life. You feel so frustrated because of the activities. Again, you find that thorn in the flesh in this instance become a necessary good or necessary evil. It is evil but it's necessary just to humble you. 
That's why God will tell him, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Is that okay? Until you are weak, I will not show myself strong in your life. So the instrument that can keep you weak, so that I can make use of you, I've given that to you. No matter how long you're going to pray, it's not going away. And if you don't understand these things, every day of your life, you'll be angry. Because this messenger will always cause you to be angry. This messenger will always do things that you hate. But they are all meant to humble you. So that God's grace will flow through your life. Messenger of Satan. Necessary evil. What I mean, this is evil, but it's needful. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Have you experienced something before in life? Necessary evil. Needful. Evil that is needful. You need it. Though it's evil. But to control you. So that God's grace and life will flow through you. Because little success can get into your head. And you lose control as to who you are. Praise the living God. Are we together? So friend, this is just what it means. Tons in the flesh. Opposition. Men that were standing against Apostle Paul. Men that would destroy, if need be, what Apostle Paul had built. Like the false apostles that turns in the flesh of Paul. Praise the living God. And I'm saying, you can probably have one. And one of the things that will make you to get one is the way you try to move on in the spirit. If you are trying to be boastful of even that which you have, of acquired, you may be inviting a turn in the flesh. Just to humble you so that God will take all the glory. Praise the living God. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.